0: Our next guest is Meredith Ferry, who joins us from St. Louis. Meredith got her start in the industry at an early age when she started working at the country club that her father managed. Meredith has progressed immensely from that first job working with mini bottles to creating craft cocktails at several of the top bars in Chicago, such as Ombra, Sable, and Volume 39. Meredith has gone on to open her own bar, Platypus, in St. Louis, and has also appeared as a contestant on Drink Masters on Netflix. We had a great conversation with Meredith, and it's definitely one that you'll enjoy too.
1: Okay, we're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. This is actually the first one we are recording in the new year. So how was your holiday, Dan? I actually worked the entire time, so yeah. not much of a holiday. How about yours? Yeah, I worked the whole time. I'm in the service industry. Oh, Maybe that's
0: right. Yeah, I did forget, <laughs> considering I DJed at your bar with you yeah. on New Year's Eve.
1: <laughs> that's right. I, Remember showing up to the bar? Yeah, well, that's it, that's all you needed. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Any uh, New Year's resolutions? Just to be a better version of myself. Really? Yeah, well, that shouldn't be hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I go. I make no resolutions. I just uh, just kind of hanging out. That's resolutions. Try not to die.
1: That's a good one. Uh, yeah. This age. This age. That's when you start thinking that way. Yeah, that's true. My New Year's resolution is to give zero support to the notion of dry January once again this year because Perfect. it's bullshit. I don't know who came up with this concept, but you know what? Like people, make your resolutions, just like eat less, maybe less carbs, exercise more, but don't give up the drinking. We need to. I've actually seen a lot of stuff for dry February now too. I know. It's starting to become a two-month thing. It's like literally like New Year's Eve is over and no one drinks till St. Patrick's Day.
0: That's literally Chris, my birthday's in February, so that's
1: That's crazy. Yeah. Well, we have a great guest as always. Meredith Berry will be joining us in just a minute. Before we get to her, we should mention that if you like what we're doing on the podcast, you're going to want to subscribe, rate, and review the show. That helps us out a great deal. If you're in the area in Kitchener-Waterloo, swing by one of my bars. That would be Sugar Run, the Speakeasy Downtown Kitchener or Babylon Sisters Wine Bar, Uptown Waterloo. They're both open Wednesday to Saturday from Babylon Sisters at 4 o'clock, Sugar Run at 7 o'clock. Come check us out. Any shows from the archives we should be discussing? It's uh, We haven't recorded in so long. I can't remember who we interviewed last.
0: Yeah, well, last week was uh, Monte Burrow.
1: That's right, Monte Burrow. That was super fascinating. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: really smart guy.
1: Mm-hmm. Before that, we had uh, Chef Nui Aguilar, I believe.
0: That is correct.
1: And My her husband, husband, Jeff. Yes.
0: Lauren Mote, mm-hmm. uh, Ali Kadoba, and Matt Tender. And 135 was Yelena Anter and Maddie Yeagers. So lots
1: of good episodes. Check those out in our archives. This is episode 141. Yes. 141. How about that? Yep. If you would like to be a guest on the show, you should DM us at the industry podcast on Instagram, or you can email us directly at info at theindustrypodcast.club. That's also the spot to hit us up for any potential sponsorship. Aside from that, a big shout out as always to Zach Hanna at ZachHanna.co, who does the artwork for the Instagram page. Tremendous graphic artist in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Hit him up for work. And I think that's it, right? Mm -hmm. We got a great guest. Meredith Barry is here joining us from St. Louis. How are you, Meredith?
2: I'm doing good. I just just drove into town, actually. I was with a whole bunch of industry people in a undisclosed cabin in the woods just oh really nice (laughs) Nice. drinking a lot
1: (laughs) sounds like uh the precipice for a terrible thrasher film but slasher (laughs) film i should say Yeah. yeah sometimes
2: i think about that if i'm out in the middle of nowhere because i you know grew up in cities so yeah sometimes the quiet is too much
1: yeah, <laughs> for sure. And so you're coming. You just got back to St. Louis, but you also spent a lot of time in your career in Chicago. For those who aren't familiar, also Meredith is one of the stars of the hit show Drink Masters on Netflix. If you haven't watched that yet, I highly recommend it. It's super entertaining. Kate Gerwin was on the show earlier. You might remember for some people who've been listening. And I think that you guys are buds now, eh?
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, we definitely bonded on the show. I'm really mm-hmm. grateful for that friendship. Truly. Mm-hmm. She's a she's an incredible person and uh really really cares a lot and has been amazing in this industry so I'm I'm grateful for our friendship for sure.
1: Yeah, did you find that like uh, uh, we learned the hard way with Kate that we, you can't tell us too much about the show but <laughs> <laughs> about the behind the scenes but like talking about the show in general like how did you find the experience overall and like did you find that definitely more positive relationships uh made over the history of filming the show than negative?
2: I think that's I think that's the best thing for me that, that came out of that moment is definitely the relationships. And that's the most positive thing about it. And also a new experience, something I've mm-hmm. never experienced before in my entire life and all of us. So I think we all bonded in that way to be doing something special together like that. It also, you know, I think the entire year, I've had a lot of time to really contemplate and think about how I felt about that show and being on it. And being honest about um, how it's affected me. You know, it's difficult because, I mean, now I can talk about, you know, the episode. Right. uh, And I think it's hard to do something that you love to do, you have passion for. And uh, it's so exciting to, you know, have an opportunity like that. And so then when you kind of mess up on something that's so simple... That you do every day and you do right. well every day, it messes with your mind, man. It really does.
1: Yeah. But and it's there's a lot of, it's high pressure situation, too. So it's a little different. Totally. right? Yeah.
2: Totally. Yeah. And and it's it's,
1: yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying to interrupt you. The, 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 no. Like, it's even way more, uh, I imagine, different than like doing, like, you've obviously been a successful competitor in this uh, service industry you want to grab a competition and also a what was the other one sorry uh, uh
2: com- compass box oh yeah. compass
1: box yeah i love compass yeah. box um yeah so like it's not like something you're not used to doing is the competitive part of it but so how would you find would you describe the show as being different than say doing those competitions
2: absolutely yeah. I, yeah. absolutely then you're so used to a certain way that those cocktail competitions go and they have a, a very specific formula, even if maybe they do something different to to you know push the boundaries for themselves in particular, those competitions have a formula, and this was a formula that we were all not prepared for right for sure. Cameras in front of your face is like yeah, it's a wild experience. I and really- did they
1: did they give you any notion of what the competition was going to be like before you went into the show or was it were you kind of getting hit with it as you're there?
2: I think every, I was getting hit with it as we were there. I mean, oh. they kind of, I mean they kind of prepare you but not really. I mean you can't really have a a concept for it if you've never experienced it yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean they prepare you in a way of being like, you know, all the interviews up until you get picked. I mean they, you know, they do us I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but a, you know, a psychological analysis of you right. to make sure that you're prepared for this kind of level of stress Mm -hmm. because you are um watched at every moment and that that's uh that's interesting and um and you're being seen by everybody internationally Mm -hmm. so there's a there's a higher pressure for sure than just uh, amongst some of your peers
1: right like in those individual competitions where it's like yeah there's some people there but you know most of them and (laughs) yeah
2: right exactly (laughs) yeah as
1: opposed to everybody from around the world watching on the biggest streaming service in the world.
2: Yeah, no pressure at all on that.
1: (laughs) When you're in the moment, do you feel any of that pressure or you just do your kind of like muscle memory kick in about like, well, I know how to do this?
2: Yes. So there's moments where you're in the middle of it. Like I think during the kitchen moments, I was probably the happiest because I know that. And I could literally just get, you know, it was it was difficult to go around all of the cameras for sure. But that was probably the hardest bit was really just kind of the dance the new dance that you have, you're like, man, when I prep or when I'm bartending, everybody gets a flow. But these, these guys in the camera, they're not with your flow. They want to interrupt your flow and they don't want Mm. to, but they are looking for, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this
1: stuff. Well, like, okay, let me uh, say. (laughs) Let me let me say. Assuming what uh, is that? They they want these dramatic moments, right? So that like it's in their best interest to kind of maybe almost trip you up because that's going to create
2: not even trip you up, but like focus in on a moment that you may be having. Right. So if they're seeing you have a moment of like, oh, that's not quite going right, Right. then they're going to be. Right. I love that.
1: Yeah, They love that. Yeah. yeah, they're like, oh, well, yeah. And, and also sort of the viewers. That's why. Right. Like, of course. So, yeah, yeah um, they're
2: looking for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and also the other thing is you're talking the whole time to them as well. Right. Like that's it's a yes. more verbal thing. Whereas like if you're doing the competitions, like say the compass box one, you, there's probably not a lot of talking you have to do. It's just kind of doing the bartending.
2: Well, yeah. you But you usually prepare what you have to say. Right. So yeah. You, Usually in those competitions, you have a prepared script for yourself. Oh, and, and really, you're just talking about the cocktail while you're making the cocktail is really right, what it right. is. And, and that's a lot easier than in the middle of prepping, answering all the questions. Right.
1: Yeah. And well, you have a yeah. time limit on you. Like, well, that's, I, I was watching. Yeah. I'm getting stressed out for you were thinking about it again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like a little PTSD but, yeah. sometimes. Yeah,
1: but, for sure. yeah.
0: So what is the Compass Box competition for? Like for people like me who aren't familiar with it?
2: Uh, Compass Box is an incredible scotch company. Oh, Yeah. And um, I got an opportunity to um, compete in the national competition. And I won that one and then was able to go to London and compete in the international competition as well. Oh, wow. And that was a blast.
1: Compass Box is a blended scotch. And it's like kind of, I, I would say like for a while, like blended scotches were getting like a bad rep sort of like everybody was talking single malls all the time. And then compass right. box came along and kind of re- like sort of rejuvenated the whole, now people are like back into like Johnny Walker and stuff. Cause they realized it was good in the first place.
2: Yeah. He, he used to work at Johnny Walker. Right. Like later. So yeah. he, you know um, he was showing basically, I love it because he's like dropping this bomb on also all the rules of Scotch and being like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna have a 30 year in here, and I'm gonna have a yeah. 25, and then I'm gonna yeah. have the three year deluxe. It blows my mind. Yeah. And he has just a tiny percentage of a three year scotch in there, and he had to call it the three, three year. year.
1: That's right. So that's, yeah, yeah. It's the stupid fucking rules. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. But I, I loved it. He's very cheeky and and he's brilliant, and it's magical. Hedonism is one of my favorites. It's just Yo, so that, good. It's that was the one that liked. did
1: for me too. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um so well and I'm I'm we're certainly clear curious about the show, but I really want to back up and talk like the one thing we don't get from watching the show and everybody again should watch it is like much about your sort of personal career, right? Probably because they just don't have time for it. but what we're interested in on the show is that. So like talk to us a little bit about how you got into the service industry and why you decided or like the moment where you realize this is what I do now. Yeah, that's such a good question.
2: my you know my father, Uh, was in this industry. So I started in this industry at a young age. At the time, he was a general manager of a country club. Okay. And I started just kind of serving and doing some stuff in the kitchen. And then I was cocktailing and then I got to be behind the bar and I was doing mainly the um, outside bar, you know, by the pool and making these like island oasis daiquiris and, yeah, yeah. and uh, piña coladas, <laughs> you know, with the the pre made jug, and uh, it was in South Carolina. Actually, we're from we're from Long Island, and then we moved down south. And there was mini bottles, so it wasn't even like regular bottles. Like they weren't allowed. I think it was only until like 2000, and like they changed the law, maybe 2000, like eight. They had mini bottles in like all. Like you're the
1: talking bars. about, like the like the airplane bottles, like the sparkling airplane bars?
2: bottles. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Oh, that's good. they thought there would. Yeah. Because it would. Con- it was a controlled state. So.
1: Oh, so like, do you? Yeah. When you're doing that, you almost don't even need to use the jigger. Really, you're just pouring. No, you just, just pop yeah. and pour. we Oh, weird. Yeah. oh I It never, also I never makes
2: inventory really gray area.
1: But <laughs> <So, laughs> yeah,
2: there was a lot of. Well, I'm just going to grab a couple of that and a little bit of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's already a gray area, but that's even grayer. <laughs> it <was> very
2: gray. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wow. Um, that's nobody, cool.
2: Nobody's counting all those bottles. There's no fucking way. No way. Um, so, yeah, but I I did that. And then I was able, I moved to Chicago and kind of just stayed on a futon in my friend Corey's living room there. And, um, you know, we just had this terrible bachelor pad that was absolutely disgusting. And, He was working at a bar called the Globe Pub and I was sitting there looking for jobs and they were getting really busy. And then the owner, Jamie, came over to me and he was like, Corey says you can bartend. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, get behind the bar. And I was like, I've been drinking. He's like, we've all been drinking. Get behind (laughs) the bar. (laughs) (laughs) And then I worked there for two years. Oh, amazing. Yeah, and
1: so was that sort of your first? Would would you would consider like your sort of sort of first real bartending job? Like, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, so what did yeah. you learn there? That kind of. But uh, uh, I made a
2: terrible fucking margarita. <laughs> really bad margarita. <laughs> but I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. But
1: yeah. um, it's kind of trial by fire, right? On those first jobs, I always figure like, and you got to fake it because you can't let the guests know that you don't know what the fuck you're doing. So, like if somebody orders a cocktail you've never heard of, and back then, like I don't know what year this was, but like when I first started doing it, at least there was no, I couldn't just go to my phone and Google it really quickly, right? There was not that. Yeah. No.
2: In fact, at the time, you could still smoke in a bar. So, yeah.
1: okay. So you're in my generation then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was fucking yeah. smoking in the bar. That was something else. That was uh, weird. That's weird. taken a couple of years off my life, and I've never smoked. <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> and just coming. It was crazy though when they like you. They stopped smoking in bars, and then you smelled the bar. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, maybe, (laughs) maybe they should smoke in here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. I never thought about that. It did mask so many of the fucking smells, like people who decided they need to go out before they take a shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Still happens at my bar all the time. It's amazing. I'm like, really? Like, I try to take care of that before I go out. But
2: (laughs) yeah, maybe do that. Oh, oh, my bar too, the bathrooms, man. Every time I'm like, really? Really?
1: No. <laughs> and you own your own spot now, right?
2: I do. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I uh, it's a year going, so Congratulations. It's the year. the worst fucking so time
1: to own a bar too. So if you made it, congratulations. <laughs>
2: I Can't believe it. Yeah. Mm. I know. I think I'm fucking crazy. Like Tony uh, Saputo is my business partner and my really good friend and he came to me and we were just kind of done doing it for other people, not saying that anything was bad. It was just like, we really wanted something of ourselves. And um, he was like, let's jump. Let's just jump. It's time. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're right. Let's go.
1: Let's do this thing. And it's so that's just, it's, you kind of get to this point in the industry where you're like, OK, I can keep doing this. Right. But like I'm I can I got to at least move into something where I'm either consulting or owning my own spot or something. because You can't just be behind the wood forever like your body starts breaking down the hours don't appeal to you anymore and, and also like you kind of get tired telling your family at the reunions that you're a bartender <laughs> you know what i mean even though I'm
2: pretty, yeah yeah
1: even though i think that now that's become way more of res- a respectable thing to say and I think shows like the one you were on help with that um, I hope so yeah, yeah. I, th- I think they do like I, I like to think i like to hope so but you get to this point where you move into the ownership role and then I don't know how what your experience has been but it, you almost feel so removed from unless you're are you still physically bartending at the bar as well
2: I was doing Sunday Mondays for a while because I just thought that they were the industry nights and I yeah. love them and yeah I mean there's there's been some things recently that I haven't been able to do that I got some a consulting job with in Chicago which has been amazing so I've been back and forth helping old regulars of mine there open a bar and now I'm like you know a partner in it it's called Whiskey Girl Tavern so that's really cool and some other opportunities have taken me away and then also there's just so much to deal with on the floor sometimes and administrative work that, you know, a late night all the way, you know, until three in the morning is just not, you know, and being my age, like it just doesn't work as well. So, but I miss all the time. I do miss that adrenaline. I miss that moment. Yeah.
1: And that's kind of what I was going to get into there is because that's what I found with myself. Like now, like the things I liked about being in the service industry, which is like the socialization, like the kind of crazy pressure that you're under all the time. That's like the adrenaline that goes with that. Like I don't have any of that anymore. My job is like waiting for fucking repairmen and meeting with accountants. <laughs> my,
2: the, my favorite thing to the spreadsheet. That's like yeah. the
1: best <laughs> ever. Yeah. I know it's like it's not why you thought you got into the service industry in a weird way, right? But yeah, it's part of it.
2: It's exciting to watch my staff, though. Mm -hmm. I think I'm living a little bit, like vicariously through them, right? Because their excitement and seeing them, you know, get excited and about a drink or a cocktail that they're creating, or how they're like moving through the night with like a sea of guests, and watching them improve throughout the entire year seeing them where they started and how they like are now it it blows my mind and we have the same staff that we started with and we've added just a few more cuz definitely like Tony and I were bartending a lot more in the beginning and now we're like well we shouldn't bartend because they want shifts you know right <laughs> like,
1: yeah and they, they need to learn, to learn right? Like, and, and they like, need to learn. that's how you learn. Yeah, it's the only way to yeah, learn.
2: Yeah, because I'll do everything. That's the
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> the thing. You just get back there, you start. You're in your world again. Um, yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean, it's great for them to have like a, someone like you as a mentor, who's because there's so many bars that are owned just by people who have no service experience at all right like i would probably say the majority of them uh so i always think at least that's something that people like you and i can offer to the people working for us is some fucking hands-on experience
2: oh i yeah i think (laughs) it's so important not saying that somebody who's not in the industry can't run something great but i do feel that in order to really connect with your staff you have to have people there that are close by in those management positions at the very least that understand what it's like in their position. I always have appreciated more when somebody, you know, I'm I'm very much of the school of I'm never going to ask you to do something that I haven't done myself or I wouldn't do myself. Mm-hmm. And I know how it feels. And yeah, man, it, it sucks to clean that bathroom. I know, <laughs> but I've done it. I did it earlier. We'll do it again. But tonight it's your turn. You know, uh,
1: I had that experience the other night because I had, um, we were short staffed at my one bar. So I actually had to like be out there on the floor again. And it was uh, like being there till three 30 in the morning again was an eye opener, but there was a, a vomit situation. And I was just like, look, I'm a team player, but my vomit cleaning days are over. They're behind me. now."
2: (laughs) I've done it so many times. You do learn some good things like (laughs) cheap coffee grounds. Yeah. Clean up vomit the best.
1: Mm -hmm. I worked
2: in a lot of nightclubs.
1: Remember that old chemical they used to have that that weird fucking smelling chemical that you would throw. It was like a powdery shit, and it almost smells worse than the puke.
2: Yeah, it was terrible.
1: Yeah, like it was like I I don't know why we're putting something on the puke that smells worse than the puke, but (laughs) but it did.
2: Sawdust is terrible too.
1: Yeah, sawdust was bad too. It almost accentuated the smell. Yeah, (laughs)
2: it's terrible. Yeah,
1: yeah. The coffee grounds. So I don't know who came. It was probably an accidental one, but whoever figured it out. Kudos. Yeah.
2: Brilliant.
1: (laughs) Uh, So uh, before we forget, what is the name of the bar in St. Louis? Uh, Platypus. Platypus. Yeah. And so uh, I guess we never really uh, finished this question, but like, was there a point where you realized when you were in Chicago that you were like, okay, I think this is what I do for a living now?
2: Yeah. I, um, I got to work at Hamburger Mary's. I wanted to work there so badly because I wanted to work at a gay bar. You know, I wanted to to work in a queer space, you know, and I had never experienced that. And um, I was there and I just remember seeing the community and how bars are so essential to community and people. And in that moment of working in that space, um, I believe that I found myself as well and who I was, and how I could be true and honest to myself. And I had the support of those people there. And I learned so much. And I actually got to be creative for the first time. I got to put something on a menu. You
1: know, I had
2: owners who were like, go for it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's so fucking cool. And I got to go to a farmer's market and pick out some fruit and go make A silly little farmer's market mojito, you know, but it made me so happy. And then I got that thirst for knowledge and creativity. And I wanted to learn more and more and more, Um, you know, and then eventually you grow out of those spaces and you move on to different spaces. But that was the moment that I think it's the community and the creativity. And I was like, this, I'm not, I'm never going to leave.
1: And do you identify as queer? Yes. Yeah, okay. So, like, before that um, that experience at Hamburger Mary's, did, did you find any roadblocks because of identifying as queer in the industry? Like, what you were saying, you felt most at home there, but did you have, was there backlash before that?
2: You know, I think I didn't, I don't know. I don't know if there was backlash or maybe it was my own fear of backlash. Right. within t- Internally within myself, because I was yeah. in the mode of trying to figure out who I was. Uh-huh. So, and be out and in a actual community, which I didn't really have before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can't say necessarily that I found anything pushing back at me besides the general societal pressure. Sure. That just is.
1: And your own own brain.
2: In my own brain. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Totally. But I also stayed in a lot of gay neighborhoods. Like I stayed in Andersonville in Chicago uh, and Boys Town majority of the time. I didn't venture out too much into an, until I became a part of the more craft cocktail world, and then I started venturing out to like Humble Park and kind of you know Wicker Park and um, uh, different areas downtown, and and connected to people in a different way. But you always have a, a, a sense of uh, fear within you. I mean, there, there were times, I mean, I was working in a downtown place and I walk, you know, you walk into bathrooms and you have short hair as a, you know, a woman or anybody who's queer and, and, and it's like, you're in the wrong space, you know, and there is, there's going to be that feeling and there's strange moments bartending when, you know, you do kind of feel like a a little token of something, you know, Mm. and people, you know, ask questions maybe that they shouldn't be asking right that's yeah.
1: personal but uh, especially fucking drunk people right like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: there's no fucking pills you there no it's yeah.
1: all it makes it a thousand times worse uh, but yeah. that's kind of interesting that you sort of developed or you realized that uh you were kind of getting a personal awakening at the same time as you're you're getting an awakening in your journey and your profession almost simultaneously
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah Absolutely. that's cool and where did you go after that to work
2: I worked at um, a place called uh, Ombra. Okay. Um, I worked at the Florentine at JW Marriott. I did that and it was an incredible experience too. I don't want to knock it. It was short and I still have friends from that. You know, hotel experiences. You're in the fire. You're working literally every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, Doubles. Uh, So uh, that was amazing and met some incredible people in my life that have helped me grow in my career as well and believed in me uh, in my career to, to offer me other jobs and other opportunities. So the Florentine was a really important time and I needed that. I needed to work in like a hotel setting and see what that was like. Mm-hmm. Kind of back to the fine dining that I did at the uh, you know country club with my dad. And then I worked at Umbra uh, where I actually got to kind of run my own program for the first time.
1: That's exciting. Uh, yeah. And uh, I always like to ask people when they're on the show, like, what do you think goes into making like a perfect, like that not perfect, maybe not the right word, but like a, a a great cocktail list? Like what do you how do you attack it? Do you attack it from spirits or from just uh, like a completely creative uh, side?
2: Um, a lot of times I just kind of look what we have and what we need to get rid of, and (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: the real truth.
1: But that's creativity, then. That's what I mean because then you're like, okay, you're taking what's what's there and making something out of it, as opposed to coming to it. Like, and how long does it take you to, like, what's what's your process for perfecting a cocktail? Like, do you have a bunch of trial and error or
2: You mean, sometimes you have a concept and it just like works Mm -hmm. Um, and you put things together and you just, you know, stir it in a glass with your finger and you sip it and you're like, well, shit, put it on the menu. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's real. And then sometimes it is like this creative process that I've looked at notes from the past, you know, Mm -hmm. like you just have ideas, like theoretical ideas that could possibly work and flavor profiles that you'd like to go for. Um, And then you're like, well... Whatever I'm doing right now is not fucking working. Table that shit. Come back to it later. And I've definitely looked at notes from the past and brought it back up. And I was like, whoa, finally. It's like I figured out the puzzle. What the yeah. mistake was.
1: Sometimes you need to step back about it for a while, right? Like yeah. just like literally take a break. It's like I, I always read about like artists like painters or whatever will do that and then they start and they just get stuck and then they leave it or like a writer or whatever and then they come mm-hmm. back and they found it later and i i feel like the whole craft cocktailing thing is maybe not getting respected enough as a pure art form because that's what it is
2: yeah absolutely i mean I like also, you know, I do the Mr. Potato Head, put it together kind of thing. (laughs) I do it, you know, you can't always have something, you know, incredibly brilliant, you know, and it all comes and stems from, and we know this, there's just ratios that just work Mm -hmm. and that are good.
1: There's something I've been like playing around with a lot recently in my mind and talking about more on the show is that, and Watching the Netflix show, it kind of, sort of brought this more to the forefront for me. Is that are do you think that we're reaching like sort of an apex of where this craft cocktailing thing can go? Like where now it's almost more of it's about um, the aesthetics of the drink than actually how it's going to taste when you drink it. Um, and like we're uh, like, is, do you feel like there's a ceiling for this, or is it, can we always push through?
2: I mean, potentially. I mean, we just found out that Noma closed.
1: Right. Yeah. I read that today. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's this, it is kind of this fear, like have we hit this ceiling of where are we going to go? Is this sustainable? Is this Mm -hmm. even possible anymore? And you want, like, I desire to be creative and push those boundaries. And, you know, sometimes I don't have the monetary means to be able to do everything that I want to go for because I can't have that, you know, contraption that does this and the centrifuge and the, you know, I mean, uh, some people don't, you know, don't have the ability to even have like a pressure cooker or an induction burner to even work on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, also where do we go? It's like, who are we serving? Right. I guess is the question. I mean, if we talk about bars as a community, I want to have beautiful drinks that I serve to people, but also I want it to be affordable for people and I want them to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want it to just be a lot of fluff either. Mm -hmm. I want it to be a wonderful experience for them.
1: Yeah. And that kind (laughs) of speaks to where I'm going with it too, because it's like at some point you do all this sort of almost masturbatory shit that you're doing to the drink to maybe impress your peers more than anyone else. And then as a result, you have to charge so much for the drink that it's not, uh, not affordable to the guest, right? And I think this right. is why, like, talking about Noma and why that closed down, like, that was what they were saying, is that the business model is not sustainable, which is sad to me. What are your thoughts on that, um, about the sustainability of, like, a sort of higher-end model?
2: I mean, it is sad because, like I said, I mean, sometimes artistry takes a, you know, a certain amount of people, people who are able to enjoy it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even we know in the art world, you can do art, but like who, who's seeing it, right? right? Who's enjoying it? Who's able to afford it? Who's able to go and look at it and appreciate it? And that's the same with food except and drink, except that ours is so temporary. <laughs> it, right. it disappears in a moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's very theatrical, you know, theater is the same way. It, it, it's just an, a temporary moment. And then I love that we can push boundaries. I want us to push boundaries with flavor and texture and uh, aroma. And so it is sad to me because I want to be able to do that. I want people to uh, experience that. I want to experience it myself. But where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Is there a way to make something like that sustainable for people and i think that's a much bigger conversation on structure of how we have the world
1: right general. yeah it's true <laughs> it's, it's quite yeah. a rapid hope we could get down there um
2: yeah we but could go yeah, down that
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah i don't know like i was saddened by the news as well and i'm just like, i've been thinking a lot about it in the cocktail world like how far can we go and how much can you charge and what is there left to do and if like one of the like the number one restaurant in the world is coming to this conclusion on its own, then it's kind of a sad state of affairs.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it it definitely sucks. It definitely sucks. I mean, Tony and I, when we started Platypus, we wanted to have really fun, great drinks at an affordable price for people where we still got to be creative and do fun techniques and push the boundaries as much as we could, Mm -hmm. right? And, uh, but still also have like a beer and a shot bar. Right. At the same time where people didn't feel forced into a menu or with a giant menu of things that you didn't know what to choose from or that, you know, we just have a rotating list that's on the wall, five drinks and it changes constantly. And then we're also not trying to keep up with things coming in, you know, like produce and uh, available items or differences of costs that can suddenly become really wild if you are chaining yourself to a very particular menu, right? Yeah. So we decided to do something that's a little bit more fluid and a little bit more creative for our staff as well. So they get a chance to constantly have something on the menu, constantly be able to work on something. And then people get excited about the menu. They can taste these crazy five, five drinks, or you can just go and get yourself a vodka soda or a beer and shot.
1: Right, what do you want? I think that's so. Perfect. And kind of the
2: space for that, yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I think the like that's where I've kind of landed on it too is like the smaller cocktail list is better. Like. You see some of these lists, it's just like overwhelming after a while. Like at the first bar that I opened, we made that mistake and it was too much going on. And after a while, people just go, oh, fuck it. Just give me a beer. You know, Yeah, (laughs) it's like it's too much. I think about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what's next for you? Like, obviously, this this bar is still new. It's just a baby. It's a year old. So you're going to be working on that for a while. But do you have anything else uh, exciting coming up?
2: Yeah, I think I'm just going to be focusing on the bar for sure. I've, uh, you know, I've got to take care of my health a little bit right now, focus on that. And I think that I'm going to be ready to roar, just doing, trying to navigate this new territory of being a bar owner, trying to, to be a mentor for people. I don't even know what that fucking means, but
1: yes. just well, I, I think a good mentor yeah. doesn't really know what it means. Like we've talked to no. a few, like having Lauren Mote on here and people like that, where they were like, Lauren Mote was like mentor of the year at Tales with a Cocktail. And yeah. like her, like talking to her about it is, was exactly that. Like if you, I think if you're like specifically trying to quote unquote, be a mentor, then you're fucking it up.
2: That's <laughs> true. Oh man.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's uh, you know, because just just care about those people that are right there next to you. That's all I guess you can do. Like, and really try to listen to them. Because, yeah, trying to give advice. I mean, who the fuck am I to give advice? I fucked up so many things. Sometimes you're just like, I don't even know how I got here. I don't know how I got here, but I'm here.
1: That's why you are the person to give advice. The more you fuck up, the better you know.
2: That's <laughs> true. Sure, I learned a lot from
1: fucking up. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, it's just the question is these days is the younger generation listening? But <laughs> it sounds like you got a good crew at your bar. So
2: I mean. There's moments. There's moments for everybody.
1: (laughs) Well, before we just start sounding like uh, old people yelling at clouds. (laughs) Yeah. Let you go. Thanks for giving us this time, Meredith. It was super fun talking to you. Tell our listeners where they can uh, follow you online or, and uh, give the addresses of the bar so they know how to visit you.
2: Oh yeah. So platypus is at drink platypus on Instagram. Whiskey Girl Tavern is at Whiskey Girl Tavern on Instagram. I'm at Meredith Berry. uh, I don't even remember my fucking numbers. At Meredith Berry, (laughs) 92517. And uh, I'm also at www.meredithberry.com and you can and, email me there whatever
1: and check out the netflix show one more time i'm going to plug it it is awesome and uh we really appreciate you giving us the time meredith that was a super fun conversation wish you yeah, all the you best so good luck with the bar going forward and uh if we ever are, are able to leave the city again then we will come visit <laughs> figure
2: that thank you okay. so much this is a lot of fun
1: thank you a yeah. nice ton.